listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. joined a car club when I was 14. I didn't even have a car, and uh, that was funny. Went to the speed shop. My mom took me there, dumped me out, and went in. All these guys in the speed shop, you know, all of them hot rodders. Here I am, 14, maybe 13, I don't know. And at that point, you know, I mean, I was probably pretty naive, but I feel like, felt like I knew it's, I'd been building model cars for four or five years and so I, I figured I knew as much as they did and one of the guys says do you do you have a car and I said no I don't have a car do you want to join a car club you don't have a car I said yeah and they just had a big howl about that rods are something you don't see every day you know the public doesn't so to see one for sure in the in the garage and then to see two and then see somebody building one and stuff like that, it's pretty. It's a pretty rare event, you know. Probably be good, a little bit better to look at the history of the rat. I think it happened in Germany. I think the guys were getting whatever they could. They were putting it together. They created a kind of culture because they were totally outsiders, didn't have much money. They were able to make a, um, a hot rod, and there were quite a few of them. And these parts were, or, or bodies and frames, were a lot of them were disregarded by other hot rodders because if the body has so much rust on it, the restoration to try to make that into a shiny, you know, painted, complete car would take so much work 
it's better not to start with that. It's better to get a better body. Like the one that I had, the 1927, that was in a junkyard over here in La Cunata, and nobody wanted it. It just had way too much rust on it, you know? It was still a complete body. The doors were still good on it. I mean, as far as being hinged and, and so on like that. But it just, you know, it was just totally rusted almost completely out, you know? Certainly not, not good for rebuilding it into a, you know, a finished painted car. From the impact of the car, the first side of it, I think the stance comes off quicker than anything. If the car is built right, the great stance on it, that's a big plus. If they just look meaner, they look tough, they look strictly business, there's no fluff about it, and uh, they're definitely not trailer queens, and they're there to do business. They're there to run fast. That's what they're all about. I like drag racing a lot. Some guys do, some guys don't. But to me, the drag racing is, it's just a lot of fun. Now, this is normal, normal stuff. You gotta tune them, you gotta do this. Things don't quite work the way they're supposed to every time. So you gotta do a little tuning on them. Little of this, little of that. And I would get it, no big deal. Hey, this is Dennis Gage from the TV show My Classic Car, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run to your computers and Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. I always try to make sure I wave to some of my listeners out there because I know you're watching us live, especially since the show is streamed during this one hour show. Good evening, Tommy. How are you doing? Good evening, Robert. Doing great yourself? Yeah, so what's uh, this? is the third week in uh, January 2018, right? Uh, that is correct. That is show correct. number three of 218. Wow. Hey, I actually got the uh, website updated with all the shows on there, so uh, I'm pretty proud of myself. I was pretty pretty, uh, pretty proficient this last uh, couple of weeks. Did that yourself? Did I you? did that. I did that all by myself, amazingly. Yeah, with a little help of Bobby. I mean, he kind of, you know, I cheated a little bit. But at any rate, so they're all up there. So uh, check out the shows, guys. Uh, we definitely want you guys to share that with as many people as you can. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tan Talk Radio Network, right here in downtown Clearwater, you can tune in to the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Now, we've got a very special guest for you this evening. So I'm going to go into the Florida Car Shows Minute here for a second. Yes, flacarshows.com. If you want to find out where all the car shows are here in the state of Florida, be sure to check out the website. Now, there's uh, the big thing was last weekend we wrapped up Kissimmee. And um, I'm probably not going to get a chance to talk about some of the stuff tonight. But I did chart some cars because we were there two weeks ago. And there was a couple cars that I looked at. Keep in mind, there was 3,200 cars for 10 days. Now, this week, starting actually today, tonight, actually two days ago, Bear Jackson's live. And Scottsdale Collector Car Week is taking place right now as we speak. So with a little luck, eh, you know, some pretty cool stuff is going on. So uh, there's five auctions going on over there. Six auctions, I think you've got. Bear Jackson, you got Russo and Steel, you got Goodings, you got Bonhams, you've got uh, uh, Worldwide, and did I forget one? Russo, Bonhams, Worldwide, Gooding, and Barrett. I guess that's it. And uh, oh yeah, RM. 
So, uh, and they used to be silvers, but they were way up by the uh, by the casino, and uh, that was a long drive. That was almost an hour east of uh, Phoenix, but they used to have some pretty good cars there. And the thing about it was, is they really had some good deals. I don't know what it was about that particular auction, but silvers, you can Google them. They actually had some pretty good cars, and they had some really good prices. I don't think it had the hype that a lot of the other auctions do, right in, you know, in the Scottsdale area. It's a little different scenario there, but... Uh, that was a place to go where dealers actually went and bought some cars. Then they'd actually buy the cars, and then they would drive over to uh, Scottsdale because every uh, just about every night at the Pavilion Shopping Center in uh, off Indian Bend Road, I think it is in Scottsdale there, right off the interstate, is a big, giant car show. So a lot of guys would show up there. And, of course, on Saturday, the show is huge. But anyway, it looks like we have our special guest for the evening on, and I'm delighted to uh, welcome the return of the one, the only, Jay Leno. Jay, how are you doing this evening? Hey, guys, how are you? Enjoying the show? Yes, yes, yes. Matter of fact, not only are, are we enjoying our show, we're enjoying your show. Your show... Hey, well, thanks. Jay, your show, I got to tell you, and I'm a car guy, okay? So you know how we are. You guys like us are real critical about shows. Is it real? Is it fake? You know, all this stuff. But you do... An amazing job. Your show's eclectic. It just covers all kinds of stuff, you know, from the rides, the crashes that you're involved in, the motorcycles, you know, bringing uh, Donald on there, talking about values. It's just, uh, you know, the new stuff, the old stuff, the high-tech stuff. Just Yeah, we try to have fun. You know, when I do, I do the Channel's Garage YouTube show. Uh That's a bit more technical. That's engines and transmissions and horsepower and stuff. But for the TV show, you have to broaden it out a bit, you know, make it more family entertainment and stuff, so... You know, we do crashes and, <laughs> you know, we rolled the Hemi car. That was a lot of fun. I mean, just all, not deliberately, obviously, but yeah. Well, now, are is some of the stuff staged or is some of the stuff accidental? I mean, what goes on? Because, like, there was a show where I was watching. You were on some sort of a – you were on a, on, a, on a bike with a sidecar, and you kind of got a little out of shape there in the sand. It kind of took you up over the hump there a little bit. And I, I, I ride bikes, so I know what you went through. So was Yeah, that- yeah. No, that was uh- – no, that, that was all legit. Yeah, that, nobody I mean, we didn't plan on doing that. It was just, you know, we're in the desert, and it was like, oh, and see, that's coming, you know. Um, two but, things. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, okay, well, two things I wanted to ask you. You've got, tell us a little bit about the uh, Dream Garage Tour you got planned. That's kind of like a, uh, a, a a giveaway thing that you're offering, you know, yeah, listeners and folks. Yeah, just saying, you know, we're not allowed to open to the public. I mean, we do tours for... You know, if people make a donation to, uh, you know, any veterans thing or police or fire, that kind of stuff, we just can't open to the public. So we can do this kind of thing on a limited basis. And, you know, people call in. It's, it's a lot of fun. People seem to enjoy it. So. Do they get to see your whole collection? or? Do oh, yeah, yeah. I get to see the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to see me naked or anything, but, yeah, you'll see the whole <laughs> collection of cars. I don't think anybody really wants that. Okay, I think the last time we talked, you had roughly somewhere around 100 cars and about the same in motorcycles. Is it pretty much the same there, or you got a few more? No, I think the last time we talked, well, how long ago did we talk? I'm trying to think. Uh, middle of last year. It's about 160 cars, about 133 motorcycles. Oh, wow. That's good. Now, you've got uh, some regular guests that show up on your show. You've got uh, Tim Allen, obviously, uh, Mr. Dunham. Jeff Dunham comes on there, and Seinfeld. Now, and and they show up on your show. They're like celebrities that have cars. And, yeah, uh, Seinfeld's a big car guy, too. Seinfeld's terrific. He's, he's mostly Porsches, but he's got Fiats and Mercedes and oddball stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. We've had um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. He's a big biker. You know, the fun part is the celebrities... When you tell them, look, I don't care about your movie, I don't care about your cocaine bust, I don't care about your divorce, <laughs> we're just going to talk cars and more. Oh, okay, great. Then they show up. You know, so many shows are ambush shows where you get the celebrity there and then you go, well, let me ask you what happened with so-and-so. And, oh, no, and, you know, some horrible thing. 
So we're really just cars and motorcycles, and I don't really, don't really care about your movie. Yeah. No, that, but you know what? That's interesting because that's the way we are on this show too because people are a little apprehensive about that because you're going to exploit it. But here we are. We're just talking about cars, motorcycles, boats, whatever your, your, your you know, whatever motorized. Anything that rolls, explodes, and makes noise. That's it. That's it. Now, talking, um, Neil Young, and I know you're a big fan of electric cars. And I want to kind of get into that a little bit because I'm still having a hard time coming to terms with electric cars. But you're well, here's, work- a really, here's a really funny thing. I'm going down the freeway and they bump up a traffic. And I see what looks like a 56 Lincoln Premier, and I go, oh, that Lincoln. <laughs> and then I see the guy waves at me, and I go, God, that guy looks familiar, you know, because I'm, I'm used to seeing Neil Young on album covers from 30 years ago. Uh-huh. You know? And I go, oh, wait a minute, that, that, that's Neil Young. Oh, yeah, I said, how are you doing? You know, and, you know his, he, he, he modified that electric Lincoln. I guess it caught fire once. And right. Literally burned to the ground, but he rebuilt it again, so... You know, it's kind of funny that you say you're, you're coming to terms with electric cars, but it's all—it's still hot rodding. You know what I mean? It's like it's like rap and rock and roll. You know, one people like one, they hate the other, but it's all still music. You know, you just pick the one you like. I mean, I'm shooting a thing with a kid uh, tomorrow who's uh, 16 years old. He bought a, a Toyota Celica with a blown engine. He pulled out the engine, converted it to electric. I mean, he did a really nice job, and it's. It's fast, and it goes 100-and-something miles on a charge, and it's still hot-rodding. It's not hot-rodding as we know it, but it's four wheels and going fast. And, you know, everybody knows that that's really what it's all about, you know. Everybody's against electric cars until a Tesla blows off a 427 Cobra, <laughs> and then you go, well, i got to get one of those Teslas, you know, because, I, I mean, if you're trying to, trying to win the race, fastest guy wins. This is true. So would it be fair to say that the electric motor is fine, that just the weak point is the battery technology and the longevity of being able to utilize a electric well, vehicle? Well, I don't know. I've got, you know, I've got friends that have 10- and 12-year-old Priuses. They're still on the original batteries. Oh. I mean, I've got a Chevy Volt that we use here at the shop. It's got just about 90,000 miles on it, of which maybe 3,500 are the gas motor because we just use it to run errands. You know, you get 35, 40 miles on a charge. So we run all over town picking up stuff, and every time we come back, we plug it in again. And you don't go out for an hour or so. Well, you've, you've gained another 10 or 12 miles. Okay, so, so we don't use, you know, the oil looks brand new. I mean, we still change it, <laughs> but, I mean, the engine itself has only got 3,500 miles on And we have had... Nothing go wrong. No problems. I mean, zero. I mean, the electric part of it works amazingly well. You know, I have said this before, but I think what happens is you're always going to have your Cobras and your Hemi Cudas and all the stuff we like. It's just that you're not going to commute and bump it above the traffic and that. So you use your stupid electric car every day for your runaround vehicle. And then, you know, your muscle car, your sports car, or your supercar becomes like a snowmobile you use it on weekends for fun and to do things and that's that you know i mean it, it makes perfect sense to me neil young was at uh, sema a few years ago with that 59 lincoln that he has or 58 yeah. whatever it is and it's a hybrid it's part gas and part uh, electric and and he was and no if, i don't think it's part gas it's all it's, it's, is it all electric i believe it's all electric yeah i think you're right it's electric but it's two electric Motor, I think there's one in the front and one in the rear or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. 
So I'm a concern, and I'm sure you share this. Those of us that have old cars, I don't want to not be able to drive my old cars. Well, Neil was trying to convey to me, he says, look, Robert, you know what? This is probably going to be the only way you're going to be able to drive these old cars in the future by converting them. And I'm the pioneer. Your thoughts? Well, no, I don't think so. You know, that's really not going to happen because you have SEMA, which is a which is a essentially a lobbying group for the hobbyists. Mm-hmm. You've got a what? What is it? A five billion dollar year industry in this? I mean, nobody wants to see that disappear. Um, you know what it is? It's it's just a matter of what people prefer. When you try to shove electric cars down people's throats. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it was too soon. Now people are ready for it, okay? And, and let people who don't like cars, let them buy those. Okay, That's fine. Fair. They can clean up the environment and all kind of stuff. It just leaves more gasoline uh, for the rest of us, you know? <laughs> and, but it's true. I mean, the percentage of collector cars versus cars is, what, one hundredth of one percent, the number that are on the road. And, you know, the more electric cars that are out there, I think the more lenient it'll be for those of us with older cars that we just use, you know, for 2,500 miles a year or 5,000 miles a year, whatever it is, you know. So and I, I think the future looks actually pretty bright. You know, I can remember when I was a teenager, if you, I would go to car shows and there would be a Duesenberg with three black wall tires and one white wall tire. And it was a truck tire. And it would win the show because this guy found the only tires that fit regardless of whether they were bald or what, because nobody made tires for old cars. So the fact that this guy could even roll in with a 30- or 40-year-old car was pretty, you know, was, was a huge deal. I mean, it's easier now to get parts for a 57 Chevy than it was in 1985. So, uh, I mean, I, I think the, the future looks good. I, you know, I think the type of cars will change. For example, you're seeing something now, when I started going to Pebble Beach, pre-war cars always won, you know, most elegant, best car. Post-war cars never won. Now, enough time has gone by since World War II ended. You've got all these Ferraris and Maseratis and even custom Cadillacs and whatnot that post-war cars are now winning. You know, kids aren't. I don't know any kids that really want a Model T anymore. But when I was a kid, that was the car you could buy pretty cheap, you know. So it, it just keeps moving forward, and it changes. I mean, instead of being interested in a 32 Ford, kids are interested in a Honda Civic or something like that that they can hot rod. And, you know, I remember when I saw one of those stupid Fast and Furious movies where <laughs> uh, Vin Diesel's got the Hemi, I think it's a Hemi Charger, and he races a kid with a blown uh, Civic. And I go, well, that's ridiculous. How could a Honda Civic? Oh, wow, it blew the doors off. <laughs> you know, the guy kid was getting a $1,000 out of this Japanese hand grenade he built, you know. It's all hot rodding. It, 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 you know, it keeps evolving and it keeps changing. And the fact that a lot of us get stuck in the past, eh, it's not really good, you know. You had, uh, you've had a number of um, pretty amazing guests on. And recently, I think you had Arnold Schwarzenegger on, and he had his Mercedes G-Wagon on there. And it, to my surprise, was electric-powered. And you actually used in that episode, you actually said hot rod electric cars. And I yeah. thought, well, that was kind of interesting. So you're expounding on it now, and I, and I kind of get it. Well, for it. example, I bought a guy called me. He had the shell of a 1914 Detroit electric. No motor, no nothing. Um, I went down. I bought the shell. I'm converting it to Tesla power. It'll mm-hmm. have air conditioning. It'll have Bluetooth. 
I even I called uh, the Amish. You know, the Amish build the best wood wheels of anybody. And a new wood wheel is as strong as an aluminum wheel or, you know, or carbon fiber wheel almost. And they may be brand new wood wheels for it. And we're converting that to, well, it's still going to be electric. It's just going to be a really fast. <laughs> instead, of, instead of it being 25 miles an hour, it'll be just, I don't know, I, you want to go too fast this thing because it's like a phone booth on wheels. But <laughs> it'll, it'll be really, really quick, and that's that's electric hot rodding. You know, it, it's okay. just it's just different. I mean, the funniest thing to me is when a lot of times at the garage we'll bring students over, and they'll look at a box of jets and go, "What is that? What's the carburetor you use to tune the car?" And they're like befuddled by this. And then I look at them with a laptop and I go, "How do you do that? You know, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, it it just." You know, you know the old guys teach the new guys, and the new guys can teach the old guys, and we can all learn something, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because for years I was trying to figure out how to bridge the old guys with the new guys. And recently I was at a Cars and Coffee with my son, and my son Bobby's 20. And that's exactly what it was. When, when these guys showed me their tricked-out 700-horsepower super engines stuffed in a little uh, Saturn I thought, whoa, this guy's serious. So then it clicked. The light went off. Wait a minute. He's a modern-day hot rodder. I'm an old-school hot rodder. I relate. Right. So that was right. it. Well, to me, you know, I get a lot of the old guys come through here, and they used to work with the Bridgeport lathe and the whole bit. And then you show them a 3D printer where a part comes out fully assembled, and they're astounded. I mean, it's like, I mean, they have no idea how this works. It's like something from the Jetsons to them, you know? Um, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, that's, you know, there are no junkyards anymore. You're not going to go find a piece of script that says Bonneville for your 67 Pontiac at the junkyard anymore. For the 3D printing, you can make one out of brass better and stronger than any piece of pot metal that ever came out of GM. You know, I mean, I make parts for my steam cars. You know, I've got 1906, 1909, 1908 white and Stanley steamers. You know, there's no junkyards for that stuff. You're not going to find a, a preheater or, you know, a feed water heater. But you scan the original rusted out part, you push a button on a 3D printer, and it makes you one. I mean, it's the greatest gift for hot rodders ever because you can, there's no, there's literally no part you can make. For the steam engines, I've made connecting rods on because it's not like an internal combustion engine that's spinning at, you know, 7,000 RPM. Uh, we've made connecting rods and we've made our own pistons with the 3D printing. And it's really, it's an amazing thing. There's no, there's no piece for a car you can't make. Wow. The first time I saw one of those, it was a PRI, PRI show here in Florida. And it boggled my mind because they were making this little part. And then, of course, a few years ago, SEMA, they were doing a complete car. You know, I found a company called Lock and Stitch. I borrowed a... Um, 1913 um, uh, Christie fire engine from Burbank. It's a front-wheel drive fire engine. It was used during that time when most fire engines were still horse-drawn, and this bridged the gap. Instead of hooking up to a team of horses, you hook up to this two-wheel front-wheel drive Christie tractor. Anyway, it has a 20-liter four-cylinder engine. Each piston is a 350 Chevy. (laughs) And we were filming it for a show, and boom, a piston came through the side of the block, took the rod out with everything. Uh, the hole was as big as my head. And I thought, where am I going to get a block 
for a 1913 20-liter Christie engine. And I found this company called Lock and & Stitch, and what it is is not using heat or welding, they patch it. I got this block back. I can't, you cannot see where the hole was. It's amazing. I mean, you should tell people, if you get a chance, just Google lock and stitch. Lock and then the letter N, stitch, all one. Lock and stitch. And I sent, I had a, a pair of cases for an Indian motorcycle, an Indian chief from the 30s. It was all, somebody had welded it and then it had been cracked and then re-welded and then they used the, uh, you know, that uh, that steel Bondo stuff, whatever it is, you know. All I metal. Sent it to lock, I sent it up to this lock and stitch. They put it all back together perfectly. Because you know, most of the times when you heat those, you know, the bearing turns a little bit and it gouges. Oh, it's awful. And so any old engine, you know, the, the old days when you had an engine, when you had a rod come through a block, you had to throw it away or get a different engine. Now, you fix it. I mean, it's, it's amazing the stuff that's out there. It's really a good time to be in the hobby. Tell us about the process. I mean, what, how exactly does it work? So does it work on steel, cast iron, aluminum? Any it process? works on steel, cast iron. What they do is they drill it and they put locking screws in and then shave the heads off. And it's smooth. I, it, it, I'm sure there's a video that will okay. show you how. Um, it's, it's, it's just interesting. You know, most of us, we, when we have old cars, we wind up using old manuals, and we wind up using old tech, you know. Mm-hmm. You've got a 56 Ford Victoria or something. Well, you're going to get a 56 manual, and you're going to do things the way they did in 1956, you know. And then suddenly these things come along, and you go, oh, this is amazing. I, I mean, it's really, it's really an exciting time for the hobby because there's so much cool stuff out there now that you can fix things with, you know. When you um, so do you spend a lot? You're you're basically a wrench yourself. So you work on your own cars, and I hope and I want to make well, sure. Well, you know what it is? I've I've got a shop, right? And I've got guys that are way better than I am. Okay. What I like to do is, I like to work on it until I get it back to where it was just broken, <laughs> you know, and then I hand it over to the guy. I mean, I like to tinker and play around and stuff, but I've, uh-huh. I've got guys that are really good. And so I kind of work with them and look over their shoulder. And I mean, I don't pretend to be any sort of great. You know, I, I'm I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can afford to have really good people work for me. And what I tell anybody that has a car collection, there are old guys out there that have so much knowledge that would love nothing better than on a Friday or Saturday to have a part-time job helping out. You know, some young young hedge fund guy who's got a bunch of cars and doesn't know anything about them. You know, I mean, the nice thing about hiring the guys with gray hair is they're not going to take your car on a joyride. They're not going to show off with some girl at the Mini Mart, you know. I mean, you know, <laughs> so, and and there's tons of them. I mean, they, they come through here in my shop all the time and they bring me resumes and I go, I say, you know, I've got a bunch of old guys, but uh, if any of my old guys die, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are. I mean, there's, there's so much talent out there. And then wherever I meet guys that have more than five or six cars, they can't handle it themselves because they're married and they've got little babies and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, find yourself a guy that's retired, especially in Florida. I meet guys that worked on Lotus, you know, guys that worked on race teams and all this kind of cool stuff. I was talking to a guy who was one of uh, uh, Jimmy Clark's mechanics the other day, and he lived in Florida. And, you know, he loved nothing better than to 
hang out. And so that's why I always tell people, look around, and you'll, you'll see a lot of these guys would, a lot of them would do it for lunch money, you know. You know, you meet an old guys got some knowledge or worked for Chrysler back in the 50s, and, hey, if I buy you lunch, will you look at my car and go, oh, okay, you know. And you make yourself a friend, and, you know, they feel worthwhile again. They feel like they've got something to do, and, and you know, it, it's all good. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And a real quick story, I was at Bonham's a couple of years ago at Amelia, and I met this guy. I was sitting there because, you know, at the beginning of Bonham's, they have, like, uh, you know, they have the breakfast in the morning, the brunch thing before the right. auction. And this gentleman walks up, and we start talking, and his name was Bruce. And I call him Uncle Bruce. I've adopted him as my surrogate uncle, just like right. my uncle in California, too. And he used to work for Porsche, and he actually worked at um, one of the big dealers in Atlanta. Well, as it turned out, he raced a Carrera 356 back in the day. So he happened to bring his catalogs, his books, and all this stuff. And what was really interesting, you know what else he brought? He had a hazmat, a hazmat toolkit out of an early Volkswagen, which I happened to need for my 356. Wow. And he, and, and, but that's, that's, that concurs with what you're talking about. All he wanted to do is make sure somebody younger that appreciated it yeah, would exactly. share it. I've got a 356. I've got a 356 uh, twin cam, 1963. Uh-huh. Really interesting. Yeah, we have a guy named John Will Hoyt. He's a yes. really talented guy. This was his car. He restored it in, in 1976. He just finished it. And a guy walked up and offered him $16,000 for it, which was like crazy money. You know, it was like double what they were going for, you know, even, you know. So he sold it to this guy, okay. Was it 40-something years go by, more than that. A guy calls me and said, hey, my dad passed away out of Porsche. You want to come look at it? Okay. I go, oh, it's a twin camp. So I look and I get my book out and I go, I called a couple of friends of mine and said, who's the closest twin cam guy to the town I was in? I think it was Santa Monica or somewhere. And I go, oh, this guy John Wilhite. So I called John Wilhite. And I said, I found this car. And I was going, I go, and he goes, oh, what's the serial number on the car? And he goes, that's my car. I sold it to that guy. Well, the guy bought it from Wilhite, and he put maybe four or 500 miles on it in 40 years. He just saved it. So it's as just as he finished it in 76. So Will Hoyt came out and looked at it and goes, yeah, he said, I would buy this thing back if I could afford it. You know, it was a, a couple hundred grand then. And I still got it. Now it's and now they go for seven, $800,000. You know, that's another thing, too, if you're looking for a good excuse to justify something for the wife. <laughs> it costs just as much to restore an ordinary car as it does a really valuable car. So try to find the most valuable car you can regardless of condition. Because that one will go up in price, you know. I remember back in 1986, I looked at a Lamborghini Espada for 24000 and the Ferrari 330 GTS, which is 265 And I thought, well, they'll both be 12 You know, I'll get the Lamborghini and save myself 2500 bucks. Well, now the Lamborghini's worth maybe eighty to $100. But the Ferrari's like two-something million. You know, so I realized, <laughs> oh, so sometimes I maybe I shouldn't listen to myself. Didn't you do an episode with uh, John Wilhoyt on your show with that particular career on, one, on your YouTube we, channel? We did. We did it on uh, Jay Leno's Garage YouTube. Right. Not the Jay Leno's Garage CNBC show, yeah. Well, being a 356 nut, I happened to watch that particular one, so yeah. that was good. That was um, a wonderful guy. All right, let me ask you this about some of the guests. Now, let's go jump back to the, to the electric thing. Have you had the opportunity, and do you think that you may be able to get uh, or invite um, Mr. Elon Musk on your show? 
Well, I know Elon. I had him. In fact, I'll tell you, he came here about 10 years ago with the Roadster. Uh-huh. And I liked him. We got to be friends. He gave me a cell phone number. And I said, I will not abuse this. I'm not going to bother you. All right, 10 years go by. I had a question on something. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, you know, let me call Elon. So I dial the phone and I hear, it rings about 5. I hear, huh? Hello? I go, oh, Elon? Yeah. I says, Jay Leno. Jay, what's up? I said, I'm sorry, man. I, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It sounds like I woke you up. He goes, you did. I'm in China. Are you in China? <laughs> I said, what time is it? It was like 4 in the morning. Or I said, look, you know something? I said, you know, Elon, I feel so bad about this. I'm, I'm going to buy a car. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to buy a Tesla right now because I feel bad that I woke you up. So I, I, bought, a, I bought a Tesla P90D. And it's, it, the thing is so fast. It's hilariously fast. And it's, I've had it now for a few years, and it's, it's good. No oil change, no fluids, no nothing. Is that the one that's like 0 to 16, 2.9 seconds? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it blows the doors off my 427 Cobra. And my 427 has got a camera motor in it. The 427 really? camera. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a real 427 SOHC, a sock in there, huh? Yeah, a sock motor, yeah. Great. And a great motor. I mean, I bought that motor 30 years ago for $13,000, and people thought I was crazy. Oh, now they're, what, 60, 70? I don't know. Did you convert the car? Then? Yeah, it had a 427 side oiler. Uh, I gave the side oiler to my friend who ran it in the Mexican Panacamera race, whatever it is. He had it in a big galaxy, and we put the sock motor in mine. Okay. When, um, you know, it's, I think, um, do you ever go to some of the Shelby meets? I think you were at Fontana, maybe early 2000s one time. You yeah, I've been to a couple of Shelby meets. I like those guys. Okay, do you, um, do you ever go? This year it's going to be at Sonoma. Are you going to be able to make it up there? I don't know if I'll be up to this, that one. You know, my favorite thing, I, I always laugh at one car, one mark meets. Because these guys know everything about that car and nothing else. <laughs> I remember I went to a Mopar meet one. And I brought my heavy uh, challenge. And this guy comes over and bah, 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 he's got this. And it was built by Larry on a Thursday, but he got sick. So they brought in a, a second crew, uh, Bob Johnson. He had, he, this guy knew the most tiniest minutia about this car, everything. Then he comes to my garage one day, and I'm showing him around. He goes, hey, what's that? I go, that's a Duesenberg. Duesenberg? Is that German? I go, no, no, it's American. You know Duesenberg? No. What, what kind of engine? Uh, well, it's a twin cam, seven liter. Really? Twin? Four valves? Yeah. Really? This guy knew, he knew nothing. <laughs> he knew not, how could he not know Duesenberg and be a car enthusiast? But he didn't. All he knew were Hemis, where they were built, who, what guys worked on them, where the chalk marks go. On the, I mean, hilarious. You know, it's, it's like that, uh, that book, Fahrenheit 451, you know, where everybody memorizes one book and they walk around, you know. And, and it, yeah, it's just, it, just, it just made me laugh. This guy was obviously a car enthusiast, but only a Hemi enthusiast. Couldn't care less about 383s. Didn't want to know about 440s. Just a Hemi guy. He had the serial numbers memorized. He could tell you by the serial number what day of the week yours was built. I mean, it made me laugh. <laughs> Do you um, go to a lot of Cars and Coffees? I know there's one that uh, on some, one of your channels you do. There's one called Supercar Sunday I go to a lot, and there's uh, one out in Malibu that's once a month. And Yeah, it's great fun. I enjoy it. I really, you know, I like that because it's not a car show. There's no prizes. There's no judges. 
There's no guy walking around going, no, this should be CAD plated, and there should be a lock washer there, not a flat washer. You know, it's just, it's just car guys. And I believe there's always an idiot that doesn't burn out and then slides into the hydrant across the street and <laughs> his frame. You know, those are always amusing. So when you go to these shows, what are some of the top shows that you like? To, I mean, what is, what is it about a show that attracts you that you like to go to? It's the variety, right? Oh, I just like to see the variety of stuff. Yeah, I like, uh, you know, it's interesting. I went to a great one back in Wisconsin, Dell, a couple of, oh, last summer. And it was the kind of car show I used to go to in Massachusetts. Because when I was a kid growing up in Andover, Massachusetts, there were no exotic cars. Anything less than four doors might as well have been a Ferrari. I mean, a friend of mine's dad bought a 63 Chevy Supersport 283 Power Glide. Well, you would have thought it was a 427 Cobra. You know, my friend Mark was like the coolest kid because his dad had the coolest car. Our dads all had station wagons and, you know, just sensible cars. Whereas this was... Oh, an Impala with a 283 and a, a two-speed power glide. And it, it's just funny. So I went to this show in Wisconsin Dells, and it was one of those cars where it was, it was pouring rain, and everybody drove their car to the show. And they're sitting there with little hibachis cooking bratwurst and drinking beer. And it was, like, you know, I like to call them dreamer shows because every guy's telling me what he's going to build when the kids are out of college. What, he's, what he used to have, what he's going to try and find. And it was just fun. It was just nice. It wasn't mine's bigger than yours or this costs more than that. It was just just guys talking about what they'd like to do with either what they had, what they have, or, 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 or what they want to aspire to. And it was, it was just fun. You know, it's all guys still on the first wives, you know, the whole bit. Just regular working guys. And, you know, just coming in on a Saturday to talk about cars and walking up and down the line and, you know, a lot of, you know, Tempest, few GTOs, you know, a couple of 326 Tempest, you know. Uh, I saw the old an old overhead cam Pontiac 6 there with the four-barrel on it, which I thought was a pretty cool car back in the day. But it was just fun to talk to just regular car people. It wasn't Pebble Beach money. Nobody was saying how much something was worth or what they could get for it. They were just talking about what they liked about the cars. And I, I really enjoyed that show. So I kind of call them, I guess you call them Father's Day shows, too, you know, where dads get out and just come, come down with what they have and sit with a bunch of other dads and talk about cars. So I, I always enjoy those. Um, I think on your schedule, are you scheduled to be at the uh, Boca Grand Concourse next month? Yeah, I am going to be there, actually. Uh, I think Tim Allen's performing. I performed mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Um yeah, that's a great show. They asked me to come down and be an honorary judge, and I said, yeah, I'll fly down. I mean, it's fun to go to a car show. Uh, yeah, that's a great show. Rick Case puts that on. He's a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. So you'll um, be actually out walking the field then? So you'll be on the show field? You know what I do? I like to give out what I call the Rattle Can Award. Okay. I try to find the guy that restored the car himself. You know, maybe he did it in his own garage with spray cans. And it doesn't look like a Pebble Beach restoration, but, boy, it's pretty damn close. You know, I mean, the level that these guys get, you know, the workmanship that they can able to do, you know, with just sandpaper and, you know, just a lot of elbow grease. And I always try to find that the guy who, 
he did the best restoration for the least amount of money. And I always like to give out that award because a lot of times these car stores are just filled with, you know, a guy buys some old Lamborghini, he drops it off at a restoration shop, he shows up three years later and he pulls into the gig. You know, one of my favorite stories about that was um, I was at Pebble Beach one day and I was with the judges. And we come upon a guy with an Auburn, you know, Auburn court. And uh, they're judging it. And when the judge says, your clock's not working, he goes, oh, uh, let me get my restorer. Let me get something must be wrong with it. He goes, and the judge says, look, I'll tell you what. We're going to go down this line of cars. We're not going to deduct the points because uh, your, your clock isn't working. If you can get it working, if it's running when we come back, we won't deduct the points. If it's not running, we've got to deduct the points. Okay, okay. So this guy gets on his cell phone with, you know, the restorer. You know, no one is home right now. Please, ah, he's just screaming in the phone. Get, get, get your butt over here. The, the judges are coming. You got to fix this clock. You know, so the judges come back. The store hasn't shown up yet. Oh, I'm sorry, you got to deduct them. Oh, they deduct the points. This guy is furious. Ten minutes later, the guy's restoration guy comes walking toward the car. He's got a sandwich in one hand and a coke, you know. And the guy starts screaming, like, "Where were you? What happened?" They deducted points. The clock doesn't work. The clock's broken. you got to fix the clock. And the restoration guy said, did you wind it? <laughs> he went, what? <laughs> it's not an electric clock. You just wind it. What? Oh, and, and it, it just made me laugh. You know, the guy didn't know anything about his own car. He had sent it off to be done. And then he was there the day it was finished, you know. So I don't. I don't know how you bond with a car when that happens, you know, but I, I just always like that story. It just, it just sort of makes me laugh because it's, it kind of shows what happens when, it, it, when it's money and not passion, you know. Yes, and they've kind of taken our hobby and they priced it out of the realm of affordability to some of the true collectors as well as turned it into a commodity and an investment. Well, but, you know, but the, but I, the good thing about that is it's made cars that would normally get thrown away valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, 10 years ago, we built this Tornado that had, uh, we converted to rear-wheel drive. We put a 427 with twin turbos, and we get 1,076 horsepower to rear wheels. I bought the Tornado for 800 bucks, and then we took it to SEMA, and it won Hot Rod of the Year. And then, for a couple of years, I noticed instead of being 800 bucks, Tornados were 4,500, 7,500, you know, going for a little more money. I know whether it was some do with us, but a guy came up to me instead of yelling at me, he goes, I used to buy those things for a thousand bucks and you ruined it. I go, no, we saved it. These cars would have been junked, you know. If something has no value, it doesn't get saved. So sure, they do they do go up in price, but something that somebody might have thrown away ten years ago, they're now saving or at least putting it in a warehouse or storage until somebody wants to come along and pay for it, you know. So I think it's all good. I remember Aston Martins used to be thirty five hundred bucks. They rusted out fairly quickly. I went down to look at an Aston, an old guy had, and he wanted eighteen thousand dollars. I said, "I'll give you seventy five hundred. I mean, it was rusted through. You couldn't even see there wasn't any floor left at all. I mean, it was just a shell. Then it went to auction and it went for two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. I was stunned. I actually called the old guy up and I apologized. I said, look, I wasn't trying to get you down on the price. I just didn't think it was worth anything because it was so rusted out. But that's what he got for it, you know. So, well, that's like there's the, value there. 
Yes. Well, that's like the story about the Aston Martin that sold at Worldwide Auctions in Scottsdale last year. Remember the one that was found in the woods up there in New England, your neck of the woods, the green oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And it sold for close to 400000 Yeah, my favorite thing are barn finds. It really makes me laugh. Okay. You know, I did some research. The average farmer makes $42,500 a year. Okay. How these guys all have birdcage Maseratis and fried <laughs> Testarossas in their barns is, is amazing to me. I, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, most barns you're going to find a 63 Falcon with the 170 cubic and six and an automatic, and it's all rusted out. Just the idea that there's all these gems in barns all across America, it just, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> You know, I was going to say that a little bit ago when we were talking about the uh, the uh, Pebble Beach and stuff and the Rattle Can Award, that's a segue into – now, you have Jay Leno, Jay Leno Car Care Products, right? Tell us a little bit about that and how that came to fruition. Well, I kind of did it the stupid way. I mean, the smart way to do it is you, you wait for one of the big car companies to come and offer you a check to hold up the product. And I was like, well, I suppose <laughs> I should have done that. But, you know, I had a, a couple of guys here who's – their father ran a, uh, a car care business, and they used to come and detail some of my stuff for me. And I said to them, listen, here's what I really want in a product. Here's what I'd like to get. Regardless of cost, what's the best we can do? And the, the metal polish, you know, my big problem with metal polishes were they always took some of the chrome off. You know, they had an abrasive element to them. So if you use them enough times, you realize the chrome was starting to dull because you, you're just taking, you're literally taking metal off the car. It's like having sandpaper. So um, I said, keep working on some chemical stuff. And that's what they developed. And it works really well. And, you know, I kind of make my living telling jokes and stuff. So to me, we can keep the profit margin really low. I don't have to try and get rich doing this. We're just trying to, we roll it out there. And it's done very well. I mean, we, we, we just roll it out, not a lot of hoopla. Just We send it out to people, tell us what you think. And, you know, a lot of times you get used to snarky comments, but we really don't get many of those. People really seem to like it and think it works. So so we're, that's what we're doing. We're having fun with that. What was this? Uh, and I think I was reading somewhere else. You know how they had these little boxes that you pay X number of dollars for, and then every month you get a little box, and it's got a bunch of goodies in it? Were you involved in one of those, too? I don't think so uh, or, maybe some marketing guy did something i don't know anything about that but okay or possibly may, okay possibly all right i wasn't sure because I, or maybe there was an article i was reading somewhere where you you actually subscribed to a couple of them and i think they give you a magazine in there and they give you a little wax and they give you a little you know no uh, i didn't no, i don't know about that one you don't know they about that one there. okay no. all, right. all right um this uh week is scottsdale are you going to be there i understand you're going to be doing a charity raffle i am we, we i'm you know i got one of those new corvette uh what they call it, Carbon 65, um, and uh, took it down to Texas uh-huh. and had President Bush uh, sign a dash and do a bunch of stuff like that. And uh, we're going to auction it off. Which we're auction gonna... house? Uh, Barrett Jackson. Okay. Yeah. And is that Friday night? That's a Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Yeah. It's the 2018 Corbett Carbon It's It's the... Uh, Yeah, carbon sixty-five. That's what it is. Okay. Now I know you're really deep down inside. You're like me. You're a Ford guy, and one of your episodes, you took delivery of the brand new Ford GT, and you also have the older one. And I believe, right. do you have an original GT40 as well? No, I don't. You okay. know something? That was a classic case of you never want to meet your heroes. You know, 
you know, I was, <laughs> you know, I, 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 just to preface that, uh, my brother was never impressed with anybody I ever met in show business. He, he was not a show business guy. Uh-huh. But he had a favorite singer back in the 50s. And I was working with that guy in Atlantic City. And my brother said, oh, get me an autograph. I, ah, I, I'm going to be able to impress my brother, you know. Uh-huh. I went to see this guy, and I, hey, I'm your old man. How you doing? He said to me, uh, you got any Coke? You got any cocaine? I go, no, not really. And then he asked me for other drugs and another drug. And I realized, oh, this is horrible. It, was, it wasn't it wasn't the guy my brother admired. He's just like an old druggie now. You know, and by that same token, um, where, where, where I forgot what this Lord the Leader was. The, the, the Ford GT, GT40, oh, right. Yeah, I got to drive the GT40, uh, the uh, the road version. In 1966 or 67, Ford came out. They built, I think, 17 GT40s for the street. Right. The most uncomfortable, noisy, hot. And believe me, I drive a lot of noisy, hot, uncomfortable stuff all the time. <laughs> but this thing, you get in it, and there's no air conditioning. Just that little plastic window that you could maybe get a Wendy single patty through without the bun. You know, that... <laughs> just about that big and i had to sit sideways in it and because of the uprights the pedals are off to the side and i'm going down the street it's the most uncomfortable hot noisy car it looked fantastic i mean it was like oh my god it's only not even 40 inches high so that one was a bit of a disappointment the 2005 gt40 2005 gt40 is a road car that looks like a race car and the latest Ford GT is a race car that you can drive on the road. I mean, it is probably the greatest chassis car I've ever driven. I mean, the engine is fine. It's 650 horsepower, mm-hmm. something like that, 47, whatever. And, the, you know, it's a V6 twin cam, plenty of power, plenty of fat. The real science, the real genius is in the chassis. I've never seen a car hold the road like this. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And speaking of amazing, something I got to do a couple weeks ago, you know, all these companies say that cars have a top speed of over 200 miles an hour. But a lot of them go 196, 192, you know, they don't really go 200 miles an hour. So I called up GM, and they, was, they had the ZR1, and I said, hey, we're gonna, can we come out to Milford and see if a ZR1 will really go, uh, you know, 200 miles an hour? They sure, okay. So I go out there, and I meet Taj Dukter. You know him? He's the chief designer for Corvette. <laughs> Not yet. And we pull a stock Corvette off the line, you know, street tires, pump gas. We went 50 miles at 204 miles an hour. Wow. Flat out. I mean, it was amazing. And But the really funny part was, now he's the chief engineer. He and I are in the car, and we're doing warm-up laps, 150, 170, 190. So as we approach 200, I said to him, so what was it like the first time you went 200 in a Corvette? He said, I've never gone 200 in a Corvette. This is the first time. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, wait a minute, you're chief engineer of Corvette, and the first time you're doing this is with a stupid former comedian on a talk show from a talk show? Is that right? And he just thought that was the funniest thing. Uh, but, you know, something, it was amazing. It was rock steady because it, to show you how far Aero has come, I mean, 10 years ago, I took a Carrera GT down to Talladega. 
And we tried to do 100 laps at 190 miles an hour. And at 190 miles an hour, we go into that turn, and, boy, you could feel that thing starting to move. You know, it would just, whoa, whoa. You know, I was just real light on the touch. And, and I was coming down the back straightaway after doing our 100 laps, and one of the guys gave me the thumbs up like, we're done. And like an idiot, I lifted the throttle, and wham, that thing turned around, just kept spinning down the center lane. Luckily, I didn't hit the wall, but I was okay. Whereas with the Corvette, I slowed down to 150, and it felt like 60 miles an hour. I said, it was really amazing. And this is a road car running on pump gas. This is not race fuel. This is not special tires. You know, it's just, you know, the what is it, the Michelin Pilot 2s. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. Wow. Jay, we are, I guess we're going to cross the finish line here in a few minutes. But, again, I want to thank you very much for taking well, some time out. Well, thanks. I didn't blather on. No, 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 no. Great. And, and, and your show, you're going into your what season now? This is the fourth season for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The next uh, the next season will be the I guess it is the fourth season. Yeah. You know, it's so stupid. When I was a kid, the fourth season, the season would start in September and end in June. Now season started, like, May, and they go to August, and then there's another season. I, I have no I have no idea what season we are, but hey, as long as you're on the air, you're winning. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely. And on that note, Jay, thank you very much. Hopefully I'll get a chance to see you here in Scottsdale uh, on Saturday. I want to thank my special guest, my very special guest, Jay Leno. Jay Leno, thank you very much. Hey, in the meantime, all my listeners, thank you very much again. Stay tuned every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network here, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. Don't forget to check it out, FloridaCarshows.com. Hey, guys, see some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.